Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 39 of The Squad Room. We're almost 40, just like me. I'm almost 40. I'm your host, Garrett Tesla. I'm an active duty patrol sergeant in Southern California. The Squad Room is about developing, optimizing, and maintaining the health and wellness of law enforcement officers and other first responders all around the world. Checking this week's stats, it really does mean all around the world. We are now in 66 countries uh, and um, some crazy places I can't even imagine how they relate to what I'm talking about. But it shows that this is sort of a universal issue for many of us. Uh, Also learned that a lot of our listeners aren't even in law enforcement and this is just something that um, they find helpful uh, as I document the, the challenges and the struggles that I'm going through and that I'm dealing with. So this is a great episode because it's back to some of the just straight up physical fitness stuff that we start with. And that's kind of the emphasis of the show. We've uh, talked about leadership in the last couple episodes uh, or not, not leadership, but um, you know, the future of law enforcement officer involved shootings with Dr. David Klinger. And then we talked about financial health with Motor Cop. And hopefully you're able to uh, hang out with us on that live webinar. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but this is an episode uh, that's just about physical fitness again. It's James Fitzgerald is our guest. James was the winner of the 2007 CrossFit Games, and he's the founder of OPEX Fitness, which formerly was known as OPT. So uh, pretty well known in the CrossFit world. James, though, his, his work goes way back before CrossFit, and we talk about that and his experience in finding that. Uh, but he's been training and a full-time athlete for over 20 years. James uh, is a coach and uh, now and has been a coach for a long time. And as we know from past episodes, if you're following the sequence, that everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs a guide. Everybody needs a leader, somebody to help show them the way, mentor, whatever you want to call it. But uh, James is one of those. And James happens to be the coach of my coach, Eric Malzone, owner of Gravitas Fitness. And um, it's pretty... Uh, cool. I like I like talking to coaches because they understand the desire or the need to have a coach. And Eric was able to put me in touch with James. James is a huge supporter of first responders, and he's done a lot of work in his own area working with first responders and and and, and organizing uh, fitness systems and fitness programs for um, for law enforcement. So he's, he's a huge supporter of us, and it's fantastic. Check out his website. It's opexfit.com. You can check him out on Instagram at, um, at opexfitness uh, and follow them there. Uh, it's a great conversation. He gives a lot of information that's uh, count, some, to me came off as uh, was counterintuitive, but his years of experience um, kind of speak for themselves in what he's uh, in, in, in the methods that he uses uh, for um, his results. So we'll get to James in just a second. Real quick, I want to thank SB Tactical and the iCombat Active Shooter Training System for their support of the show. Veteran-owned, American-made company. Great active shooter training system. If you need to do an active shooter training but you don't want to use simunitions, you don't want to make a mess, you want to go out in the real world to do it and not just sit there at your own range and do the same dry dry runs over and over and over again, uh, the iCombat system actually allows you to go out into the real world to use these systems at schools. Uh, the Boston SWAT team used it in the mayor's office. LAPD uses it for their uh, ongoing edu- uh, ongoing training. Lots of university campus police uh, use it for their active shooter training systems. It's really a phenomenal system. SBTactical.com is their website. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump right into James. Uh, uh, James Fitzgerald's op- <laughs> James Fitzgerald, OPEX Fitness. All right, James Fitzgerald, founder of OPEX Fitness. Um, James, I'm excited to talk to you. Like many people on the show, uh, and and just kind of a good lesson in life, we are one degree of separation. 
you are, among many other other things, um, a coach for my coach, Eric Malzone. Eric owns Gravitas Performance Labs here in town where I am, and you are one of his coaches. And that's a common theme on this show that everybody has a coach. In fact, that's Eric's episode when he came on the show was just that, very that. Everyone has a coach. I think that was even the title. So um, OPEX does a lot of things, but essentially you are a coach. And I want, like, I'd like you to spend a couple minutes talking about what you do um, as a coach and the different kinds of, of coaching you do. And then we'll get into some specifics about how that relates to, to what I do. Yeah, for sure. I think... Um... Well, I do I do a lot as a coach uh, right now at current time, but I think uh, to preface it, I think it might be good to, I think, recognize what I want to have happen for coaches too, because my day-to-day now is, is dealt with not just coaching individuals on their fitness journey and their health or performance, but it's also about coaching coaches to help other people with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, uh, you know, the, the idea which you may share as well with uh, our conversation that we're, we'll get to with essential services, there's this career laid out for so many different, you know, vocations that people choose, but there's not really a well laid out career in coaching. And one of my uh, things that I want to fix and help is uh, really what that coaching life cycle looks like. And so, um, you know, a coach goes through this technician phase, um, you know, early on in their career, um, where they're trying to apply all this new stuff that they're learning around physical culture and applying it to people. They're in the trenches, we like to speak. And, uh, and then they go into this craftsman phase where they start really embodying what, a, what it is to be a coach, uh, where they're living it day to day and their elevator pitch, you know, is, uh, you know, what's your name? It's like, well, I'm coach Mike, you know, it's, it right. starts with, you know, that's why, that's what I am. I'm being, and the current area that I am within coaching is I'm trying to create mastery for myself as a coach, uh, which is the third element of a coach's life cycle, um, where I'm trying to transcend the idea of coaching and, uh, really still enjoy it as a process one-to-one, but also coach other coaches around that. So that's what my business is today in coaching is, uh, coach people, uh, in an online setting who are very serious about fitness and also travel the world to uh, coach coaches like your, uh, uh, your friend and colleague, uh, Eric, um, to be, uh, to help people like yourself. Yeah. And he, and you're obviously doing a great job because he's doing a phenomenal <laughs> job with me. So I know that awesome. he, um, he, uh, what you say weighs, uh, weighs heavily with him. Uh, and, or he takes, he takes it with, well, um, not to use, reuse the term, but the gravitas, the name of his own, performance mm-hmm. gym but he really holds what you say in high regard and i like this idea of creating mastery because that's really what the show is about in in all its forms not just physical but mental emotional you know spiritual all those things that create that mastery within ourselves um mm-hmm. you have a long history though that that brought you to this point and yeah. it, it predates your involvement with crossfit if people know your name it's you know, OPEX has been in that in around CrossFit for a long time. You used to be known as OPT for people that may not make that connection right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you are an OG in that CrossFit world. Uh, the the 07 CrossFit Games champ. You started in like 2004, if I remember correctly. From yeah. uh, um, yeah. so you're back there with like Greg Amundsen, who's been on the show, and and other people who are just mm-hmm. who've been around a long, long time. So my point is, I guess that you have a long history of of fitness before even CrossFit, what was it about the CrossFit model that first brought you to that and convinced you that that was what at least you needed to do for yourself? But then how have, how has your opinion of fitness changed throughout your career before, during, and after, uh, your specific relationship to CrossFit? 
and then in, yeah. and then in the formation of OPEX. Yeah, the um, I think um, as a coach's journey, you know, I went through multiple phases of this, and I speak to it, uh, you know, quite consistently when I present. Um, is that I thought I, you know, you thought you know everything as a coach. There's iterations <laughs> of thinking you know everything, like every two or three years, I think. So before I came to CrossFit, I was coaching for ten years, um, and so you, you start to realize some things and create your own systems. Uh, before I started to dabble with uh, uh, CrossFit, I started to dabble with CrossFit for myself personally. Um, and then when I started to, you know, uh, jump into it, because I always wanted to, to see these other things within fitness and to start playing with it, the methodology around CrossFit just spoke a lot to me. You know, this, you know, this well-rounded balance, you know, seeing things in terms of capacity um, along, you know, short and long different versions applying multiple different skills because this idea around athleticism was always deep in my soul i participated in a lot of different athletics growing up so to get into crossfit was pretty much for me as a personal goal to uh to be as best at it personally and then as i started playing with it with other clients i could see that for the right kind of use if it's done if it's done really um you know I, i would say if it's if it's refined and if it's used appropriately, it's very powerful. Um, it's so effective for a whole lot of people. So it really just opened my eyes to an old, a whole different version of a tool of fitness. That's the way I saw it. And uh, I think I gained that notoriety within the CrossFit market because of my own personal presence as an athlete, because I used to speak very authentically as to how much I loved it and how much I enjoyed the sport. Um, and then we started you know, teaching other coaches about it. Um, there were some... Uh, um, balancing points that were needed in order to teach them and how to refine it. And I think what I may have brought to CrossFit is is looking at it with a with a keen eye on a scientific perspective um, in terms of uh, managing how work is done and how to progress people uh, through it and how to do it in an individualized fashion. Um, and I think that's where uh, it leads us to today as a business in OPEX is we coach you know uh, hundreds and even thousands now of CrossFit athletes and coaches. Um, and I think why, why they enjoy our message is because we give them a little taste of the why behind what's inside of that dose response. And so your OPEX now is really a, a one-to-one model of, of coaching, correct? Yes. Uh, and you're, you're working closely with those people. For the, for the guy that, or, or girl that is um, you know, a member of a gym and interested in trying CrossFit or as a member of a CrossFit box, do you still think there's validity in the group model of just going in on a Tuesday and doing what's on the board and, and being done with it at that level for your, you know, nine to fiver or your guy working a night shift like I am and, and that sort of stuff? Or do they need a specific yeah. one-on-one relationship or, or what's the mix? Well, I think it, uh, I think it just depends upon what their goals are. So I think uh, anyone can prescribe anything. Um, and I think, uh, it doesn't take, uh, a lot of knowledge to put someone through a piece of stress. So I don't know if, um, it really, um, to answer your question, it largely depends upon their goals. If that person just wants to go in and be unconscious and exercise and just jump into a class, um, I think it's a fine idea. If there's no argument to a right or wrong, but if we want to start arguing the points of, well, their goals are this, or they want to accomplish this, then now, um, random training, uh, may not necessarily uh, capture that because everyone has a different starting point and everyone has a different uh, end game goal. Um, and so that's where the group class just on a Tuesday night to have some fun, it's not a right or wrong. It's just uh, what's, well, is it connected to your goals in terms of what you want to do? Right. Okay. So 
for coaching then and and for someone who's looking to develop that relationship with someone as a coach what are the what are what are the things that you tell people to go out and look for in someone who professes to be a coach because uh you know some of the stuff you've put out there um is very tactful but critical maybe of um the difference between someone who's got a label of coach and someone who is truly a coach, if that makes yeah. sense. And, yeah. and I know that OPEX is working to distill some of that to um, kind of um, make sure that that coaching is authentic in some mm-hmm. ways. What, wh- how do people know that they're getting a, a coach? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, well, they want to have someone who's going to be able to connect them to how fitness is done as a medium um, as opposed to, how fitness is supposed to happen. So the the coach is going to be someone, and you're going to know you're going to be hooked up with the right kind of coach if they can speak to your highest values through the medium of fitness. Um, so that means that that coach is going to take care of you, um, you know, through a medium of fitness because not everyone in the market out there, that's why we're coaches and their clients, not all of our clients love fitness the way we do. So we can't be biased with that workout and say, you got to love this as much as I do, which is generally the case for, you know, longer workouts, louder music and more intensity, um, which generally doesn't lead to progression over time. Instead, you want to find that coach who says, okay, very interesting. Your top three goals are to uh, be a better father, to globalize your business and to uh, take care of your low back pain. Well, I'm not going to you know, slap fitness on top of that, what I am going to do is to ensure that everything we do for your fitness program aligns you to work towards those values. And that's the difference in a coach and what you called earlier, which I consider a fitness instructor or a volunteer. And that there's a massive difference between a coach and a fitness instructor. And it's not, and use the words, you know, um, critical, um, and it is a good word to use, but if no one you know, someone has to put the stake in the sand and say, what is a coach? And my definition of a coach is someone who's going to take care of you, do no harm, and progress you um, in your journey for fitness and how it connects to your values. And that's completely different than someone who um, is uh, within, on the hour uh, coaching a number of people. Um, that uh, becomes very, very challenging to not call it a fitness instruction as opposed to coaching. So this that that's an interesting point, and I have to formulate the question as I think about it. So forgive me, but it it ties to your your the quote you gave earlier about creating mastery, and then connecting your fitness to your higher values rather than just putting the fitness on top. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is it just a matter of a conversation and a quality conversation with a client to to get to that, or yeah. how do you make that connection between? something like wanting to be a better father and, and, and fitness. Yeah. Well, we teach, uh, coaches, um, in terms of how to align those things in a lifestyle coaching course. Um, it's really just deeper forms of communication. And we do have that in business practices for all those people, which where you may have gone through that with Eric in different ways you didn't even recognize, but he probably tried to ask you some things about what's important to you. And so, yeah, the answer is you have to have I mean, we have to have communication with people we're going to have a relationship with, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're a coach, I'm your client, uh, you know, sure, shit, we better have some time set aside to actually ask some questions about what's important for me. Yeah. No, Eric certainly done has done that, and he's very good at it. I think um, there's a, a reluctance on our behalf as a client, especially cops, type A people, don't like to do a whole lot of sharing 
you know, <laughs> don't want to share the feelings or yeah. to maybe well, not the kind be... of sharing that takes place. I think just maybe, uh, um, yeah, we can just clear up exactly what that means, Garrett. But the kind of sharing that takes place, we just call it different levels of the onion. And it's not our spot as a coach to basically have you on a couch and lie back with your feet up. No, no. But uh, we, we certainly want to sit down and discuss things like, well, what's important to you? And if you say things like, you know, my vocation, uh, security for my family, and my dedication to God, then that's really important for me to know. And we have an open place where we let, we teach the coaches to create this open space with no judgment and also no prescription. We're not going to prescribe anything based upon that, but we sure should need to know exactly how those things line up and what it means for your fitness. And those things, you know, we're not that deep, really. You don't have to really uncover a whole lot of stuff, but over time, those onions will be peeled a little bit more and more so that uh, we can really reveal exactly what fitness means to that authentic person. So using that in connection to uh, first responders and law enforcement, um, I know that you know CrossFit has always had a um, very good foothold in law enforcement and military circles um, and that functional fitness idea, the tactical athlete, as we, are, we sometimes say. You've begun working more and more with law enforcement and first responders. What are some of the things that you've learned from them about fitness or applying fitness? Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, the first things that come to my mind just in terms of the practice with it is, uh, um, and I speak of this, you know, publicly uh, as well within all of our courses is that, you know, as an, uh, as an, I just call them, you know, very important services to the public and to just humankind. Um, but you know, it, there's, there's so much irony to it that these people that, have to dedicate their lives um, and put themselves on the line in a physical culture, um, and yet the you know how to how to create balances in nutrition and circadian rhythm and stress adaptation is super challenging. So it's it's kind of ironic in a in a larger scheme that the people that are taking care of all of us the most are actually aging the fastest because they're working against the circadian rhythm, biological clock, uh, stress adaptation. Um, and if you're not a fast adapter and you're not a, you know, a seal in your brain, then you can only put up with so many different stress pieces before it puts a wear and tear on you over a period of time, which as you know, leads to a whole different kind of complications, neurological complications, mental, physical, uh, gonadal issues. I mean, just the, you know, so we're at the end piece of that. Now we're starting to see it more and more and, and investigate it in it. I think one of the greatest things that possibly, you know, an intense fitness model has done for those services is to give them like correct practices within their halls of like how to exercise. I think the the bad, the wrong connection has been slapping stress response exercise on top of what's required for these people in order to do their tasks. So I think it's actually a little bit of propaganda mixed with bullshit to say that people need to train for a stress response situation to be really good at a stress response situation. So I don't think we need to get up at 3 a.m. and jump out of bed and do a five-minute really hard workout to get really good at getting up at 3 a.m. and uh, being able to survive and do shit very effectively with great hand-eye coordination, you know, good mental acuity and great capacity. Um, I think that that can be trained in a controlled environment which allows you to prepare. And the reason why I say that is in, it's innate in all of us if you ever remember the time, well, not everyone will remember this, but if you've ever been punched in the face for the first time, 
um, that really shakes your world. Uh, and then you can respond to that in multiple different ways. But the next time you get punched in the face, you know it's coming and you respond differently. So let's just say now you start getting punched in the face daily numerous times. What happens is your body creates this compensatory model to prepare for that stress adaptation. And we call it a dampening. So over time, just like we see with forces as well as essential services in really busy cities, these people actually get a dampened approach to a stress response. So they actually don't even get a fight or flight mode anymore when they have the stress response that, that becomes um, you know, indicated. So for longevity, that's a massive issue and a massive problem. Um, for you know, anyone who lives day to day, if someone gets stressed and they get a stress response from it and they recover very quickly, that's known as resilience. And that will actually help you live long and prosper. But if you continually get bombarded with stress and over time you can't even respond to that stress or even activate a stress response, that's a sign that you're aging very quickly. And we, we, we know that because we see it in labs and blood work and urine saliva that we test with people um, who show up with basically no ability to have that stress response. So that's a long-winded answer to how deep do I look into like what's going on. I find it a, a travesty, honestly, um, because – you people are so important to us in humankind, yet, you know, it, you're, it's almost like a, a boxing life, really. You know, you get into the ring for 15, 20 years and, and work it hard and, uh, and not go to sleep when you're supposed to. Um, and then expect to come out the back end and just be like, oh, I'm doing a nine to five. And, and I'm telling you, you speak to those folks that, that come out on the back end and they're not, uh, they're not giggling. I can tell you that. Yeah. No, it's, it's something, um, you know, 10 years in. And seeing uh, already what has happened and what can happen, and then of course this podcast is uh, a whole bunch of fear mongering about the <laughs> the negative effects of twenty five cumulative years of this and how to stop being one of those guys um, mm-hmm. or one of those statistics uh, that we that we talk about. So that's an interesting idea. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone else profess that we actually need less of that stress inducement. Um, and and what you're saying makes sense. What so what sort of um, how do we how do we play with our physical training and our physical fitness and and that balance? Because right? obviously any sort of physical yeah. exercise, especially CrossFit, is somewhat of a stress inducer. Uh, it's also yeah. a stress reliever. But you know what I mean? Uh, where's that? Where's yeah. that line? Or how do we inter- well, integrate that? Uh, yeah, I make people understand it pretty quickly. It's like, well, what do you feel like after you do five tough reps of a back squat? And then what do you feel like after doing a seven minute shit kicking CrossFit workout? as opposed to how do you feel when you do 30 or 40 minutes of easy aerobic work. And in most cases, on a poll of 100 special forces or 100 emergency services folks, if we were to not you know, apply, would apply the right kind of questioning, everyone would choose what's called polar training, which is the weightlifting and then the easy aerobic work. So if you have this you know, idea what the dose response should feel like, we have that internally inside of us. I'm just saying that that's built. Like the ability for you to respond to a stressful environment is naturally inside of us. It doesn't necessarily need to be trained. The only group that actually needs to train that middle zone work are CrossFitters because they actually have to get good at managing that stress response. Um, so to say that you know you have to just think of it though, Garrett, is we're, as as therapy for your exercise, we're applying more stress. That actually makes no sense. Um, so you want to do bipolar. I guess you could say, uh, training of great weight training practices and sustainable aerobic work. And then with your own, you know, emergency services requirements, 
you will have the stress response that's required to do the work that you need to do. If we really truly investigated what's needed under the hood for you to perform your job as best as possible, you combine that with great nutritional practices, which we can spend a whole other podcast talking about in terms of balancing blood sugar and how it relates to good mental acuity, um, you know, proper macronutrients and how it relates to good mental acuity, um, you know, low inflammatory foods and how it leads to good mental acuity. If you just look at those three things, we could change person's, a person's motor control and, and task sequence just by changing up their food. So, and we haven't even talked about intense physical activity in the middle zone. So I just want to be cautious of, you know, saying that um, folks need to have that intense middle zone piece to actually make them better at their job. I think if we went to the opposite end of the spectrum. I think they could be very effectively taken care of and have a long career um, because we're not adding stress as a therapy. So how much um, in this, to kind of get a gauge maybe, how much is something like heart rate, how, how, how close uh, attention do you pay to the heart and heart rate variability or the different zones of the heart rate spectrum? Does that make any sense? Uh, for tr- Yeah, for training in the kind of field we're talking about. Yeah, um, I mean, as a cop. Be, yeah. Well, you mentioned two different things there. Heart rate variability is really measuring a balance of the different kinds of nervous systems that you have. So we need to have this intricate balance of our calming and our fight or flight response in, in, our, in our nervous system and how our body responds to stress and does our day-to-day and how our systems work. Um, heart rate variability measures that. And if you're actually to use heart rate variability in terms of a measure of readiness to just live, um, I think that would be a great thing people could add to their repertoire, especially in essential services um, for their day-to-day. And what you're going to see inside of it, you're going to have a lot of red flags that are going to go off, if that's the case. In regards to heart rate training and measuring acute responses of the heart rate in relation to activity, um, I think it's honestly useless. Um, simply because that when you put a whole bunch of work together that's mixed modal, there's so many different versions of how the heart is going to respond to that. It's like a third level downstream effect. So it doesn't even really tell us what's going on because someone can do Cindy, which is 20 minutes of gymnastics work and have their heart rate at 188. Um, and then they can run around the block at 182 and they could look like they're gassed. But when they're doing Cindy, they look like they have full control. So you can see that it doesn't matter what quote unquote zone you're in. It has a lot to do with the contractions, the heat of your body, you know, thermoregulation, your muscles being used. And so it's just too complicated to use heart. Um, the way that we prescribe heart rate, um, or I guess not heart rate, but the way we prescribe intensity is to get coach to recognize uh, zones of effort, like I said to you about dose response. Um, so when you do a back squat, you do it five times. This is what it feels like. When you do a seven-minute piece of shit, this is what it feels like. When you do something that's sustainable for 30 minutes, this is what it feels like. And then we create measures on gauges of intensity based upon that. Okay. So, uh, you know, for, for us, we have some unique dynamics. I mean, we are, we are largely, surprisingly to a lot of people, a very sedentary job. You know, we're, we're in a patrol car all day long or we're sitting at a desk mm-hmm. writing a report. And it's those, mm-hmm. it's those moments of, uh, uh, you know, that 98% sedentary, 2% foot pursuit, high cortisol spikes during a you know a high speed something or other or a confrontation with an aggressive person those are the times that we tend to focus on as um mm-hmm. is where well, obviously where our fitness is the most needed but um because of that i wonder if we sometimes might overtrain certain areas of our body or might we might under train i think we under train for the sitting 
if that makes sense. You know, we, we, mm-hmm. carry the, we carry the gun belt. We sit so much during the day. We all want big, strong biceps to, to carry the, the shotgun or whatever. But what are some of the weaknesses you see in law enforcement, weaknesses of the body that you see in law enforcement officers? And what are some of the things you think that we're not emphasizing correctly? Yeah, I think um, um, easy aerobic work, um, simply because it's it can be made as part of your a possible day to day. I'm not sure, and I don't want to, you know, add confusion to what I believe would be like practice the best practices. But I think you know day to day easy aerobic work would be really effective. Um, I think having a better fine tune approach on assessment as well as what the you know, um, mantra is for how you're supposed to be eating would be great because then it's going to take away food inflammation as well as blood sugar mismanagement and, uh, take away mental acuity. So day to day that would create, you know, unbelievable awareness as well as, um, uh, let's, let's say a more, you know, calm approach where you, if you were in a seated environment for a period of time, at least you're not getting into sugar binges or a drop or increasing cortisol or a loss of mental acuity to make bad decisions or good decisions. Um, but I think that easy aerobic work, if that was one thing to pick on, that would allow you to do uh, not just more intense pieces, but it will to recover faster from those intense pieces. So the, the easy aerobic work and whatever that looks like, it can look like a whole bunch of things, mixed modal training, intervals, whatever the case may be, but it would be done um, so that it supports the ability to recover from intensity. And that's the key point. So maybe you're 2% on pursuit, but what happens if you have to do it you know, um, every two minutes and then a five minute break and then another 12 minutes and two hour break and then another three minutes, the effectiveness of how you can do those intense pieces is largely because of your aerobic system, not necessarily about how you respond to stress, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it totally does. So, um, would that be, you mentioned like some intervals or something like that. Is mm-hmm. that what you would recommend as quote unquote easy training? Cause to me, intervals are, I mean, they're not terribly difficult but you, you are ma- you're intentionally trying to max out at some point or, or get no you're not to not nope. at all so what, no. t- explain that to me yeah well you could what you're describing is uh capacity uh, or anaerobic capacity intervals okay. and so that's when you do some piece of work and then you try to repeat that piece of work but you're not able to, pr- to produce the same amount of power every set so that's called capacity uh, what i'm talking about for intervals are repeatable sustainable intervals which allow you to work over and over at the same rate, which is below capacity. I see. Okay. So, um, okay. That, that, that makes more sense then. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, but it, that would be different than some like, like, like recovery cardio, kind of a low and slow, correct? You could still, oh, well, they're, they're still under the same continuum of aerobic work. Okay. Just the low, slow cardio is just a slower pace than what we talked about for the interval. And for someone who is uh, wanting to do some, so of think that. of the sorry, think of think of the long interval that you talked about, mm-hmm. and let's call it just longer, easy, sustainable aerobic work. If you did it for thirty minutes, think of that as one thirty-minute interval. Okay. Do you see that? So it's one interval of thirty minutes. Therefore, if we wanted to do a five-minute interval, the pace would be faster. Okay. You see that? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm starting to see that now. And I, we oft, oftentimes, um, it's either there's a you know the judge for what, when you're working in that ideal zone is is either sometimes heart rate is is prescribed or the ability to hold a conversation or breath. Um, do you have mm-hmm. a, a gauge for people there that you try to have them hit? Yeah, yeah, no. We teach coaches and clients to recognize that your work should be repeatable, which dictates if it's aerobic or not. 
So if I give you a task to do for five minutes and I say we're going to take three minutes break and we're going to do that same task three more times, you should put out the exact same amount of work for every five minutes. That's what dictates the aerobic ability. Okay, that makes sense. And now, and actually, sorry, go ahead. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And it's funny, now that you say okay. it, I, I, um, a light goes off in my head now looking at my own whiteboard at, at Gravitas about what they do. And they do a lot of that and go, oh, okay, there's, there's some of that there, uh, <laughs> some of that reason there. So for maybe a, uh, the, more, the more general population of, of uh, the CrossFitters that listen to the show, and we're not a CrossFit show, but we talk about it quite a bit because that's kind of the mode or method that I yeah. tend to use and a lot of us use. What are some of the things, maybe the pros and cons of the CrossFit model? Um, what are some of the things that um, you see maybe maybe lacking that we need to be aware of, whether it's range of motion or flexibility or a certain body part or body area that needs more focus? Uh, not necessarily. I think uh, what CrossFit preaches in terms of movements, they do a job of making important of strength, which is great, you know, um, and moving really well. So if you apply their philosophy in terms of movement, I think everything will be fine and dandy. I think where things are wrong is what I've already discussed is is doing guesswork as to what you should be doing in the workout. And I think when people start guessing, when the initial start, you know, they initially start doing that dose response of we're not sure what's going to happen. We're just going to put anything together. Um, there's no on that. But if we're talking about how for people long term what ends up happening is just the same thing i discussed earlier in our first 10 minutes people just start adapting to the stress response and then over time they can't adapt anymore because they have actually no stress response given because their central nervous system becomes more um, refined and then all of a sudden now that guesswork program turns into five lactate sessions every week and now they're just uh looking to get the workout to get a cortisol push because they can't derive it from their own natural energy so uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and ask some a, sp- a couple specific questions. If you know, time is always an issue. It's an issue for everyone, and it's an excuse for everybody. Uh, but uh, very much so for you know shift workers uh, on long shifts. Do you recommend? Would you you know if someone's got three hours a week or four hours a week to to work out, whether it's an hour four times a week or thirty minutes seven times a week? How would you break up that work? Uh, do you have a particular recommendation for it or just get it in when you can get it in? Yeah, well, um, before I give the answer to that, in most cases, if people have an excuse as time, um, bottom line, it just means that that's not a high value for them. So let's let's di- not discount the fact that it's not an excuse. If people are saying it's an excuse, it just means they don't find it important. So that that's where a coach needs to come in and say, well, yeah, you don't need to find fitness as important as I do, but you need to start connecting to the fact that if you don't do fitness, it's not going to allow you for you to use it as a means to do your job better, or to be a better dad, or to sleep better, yada, yada, yada. So sure. I think that's where it needs to go back to a lifestyle coaching piece so people can understand that. Secondly, of fitting things in, this is where I find, you know, I love it because as a coach, we're trying to design the best programs, and he coaches that. So I love digging into that with essential services, folks to look at their shifts and then discuss energy patterns relative to what we know is going to happen when they miss some sleep or more tired or when they have to be acute for multiple nights in a row. We would just want to use science and board to help them take one of the best times to do exercise around that. And so instead of saying, well, I only have four hours in the week, 
I would rather work it around areas where they do have the correct kind of energy to do exercise that's going to help strengthen them and give them more vitality as opposed to just trying to fit it in at certain times. If anything works really appropriately, would be easy aerobic work and weightlifting. And if people can't do either of those, then you know there, there's not a lot really that has to go into actually getting people into a weightlifting endeavor or to do easy aerobic work. Uh, it's when they're trying to fit in four hours. The first thing that comes to people's mind is, well, if I only have four hours, I better fit in something intense because it's going to make up for something that's really effective for a whole week. Yet, ironically, putting something intense to only four hours you have to work within the week actually pushes your stress overboard um, to a person who's, you know, becomes more more advanced or knows how to do that system. So, I would rather apply these opportunities of better blood sugar control to have better mental acuity, so that they have good energy and can can work around their sleep patterns, so that we can find more spots to do weightlifting as well as uh, repeatable aerobic work. Um, and then when you fit that in, that should work around on your days off possibly. And then during your, you know, on days of, uh, if, especially if it's at a nighttime, um, you have to put all your energy into repairing your gut. Um, because if you don't do that during those periods of times, it's going to come back to haunt you where you're going to be relying on, you know, sleep aids and different kinds of uppers and downers just to live the rest of your life because your gut is in such a shitty shape because you didn't take those specific times to recover from sleep deprivation, which we know now leads to, you know, issues with insulin issues and, uh, and blood sugar dysregulation and things like that. Oh yeah. Sleep, uh, as we've uh, discovered through the show, sleep has, has an absolute effect on absolutely every part of your life. Uh, we yeah. said doc Parsley back on the show, uh, who's a sleep specialist. Um, and it's just, it's, it's scary how much that has an influence over everything. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, right? So it's, it, you guys understand that, but uh, it's just to find exercise around that. I think we need to change our line of thinking and say, is it possible, which, you know, blows people mind is like, well, is it possible to actually not do anything that's intense in exercise and actually have better energy, just sustain my output for a full week. And I think if you start investigating that, you'll start seeing people have better blood sugar, sugar control when they do less intense activity to try to fit it in during the week. Because as you know, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced it, but you know, going through some real intense exercise, you're going to have to be burning sugars in order to do it. Um, and your body does get into this cycle of looking for sugar as a recovery due to that. Um, and you know, what kind of training program doesn't make you want to rely on sugars? It's generally weightlifting as well as proper aerobic exercise. Um, and again, it comes back to creating that as a better dose response for people. Um, and if someone's like completely out of shape, Garrett, I'm making the assumption that we're talking about people who could like get up and move around, jump over something, sprint for a couple of minutes. You know, that's what I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about. If someone's just completely out of shape, well, obviously, yeah, they may need to do some harder intervals over a period of time to get into condition. But for most cases, uh, I think if they had four hours, they should dedicate, you know, uh, let's say three 30-minute sessions of some great training um, and then two and a half hours dispersed five times in 30-minute segments to easy aerobic work just to create blood flow and good blood sugar management. Okay, so then that's a excellent uh, layout. And then my question about the weight training then is um, do you want to keep it something – um, should be, should you be going heavy every day? Should you be mixing it up or you should be going for reps and light repetition? Well, yeah, well, it should be safe. First of all, sure, um, of course. and as an example, take that 30 minute block and put three different, you know, 10 minute pieces together for it. So, you know, put a 30 minute timer on the board and start your first 10 minute piece. 
um, and then do something that's safe that gives you an effective dose response by the end of the 10 minutes. And so that's like doing, you know, two tougher reps every minute for 10 minutes by adding weight to a specific movement. I think that's a great idea. Now you get another 10 minute block, you know, maybe do another supplementary compound weightlifting movement that you know how to do that's safe that you do it, you know, every two minutes, you know, for one or two reps, that's fairly intense. And then what do you do for the last 10 minutes? Well, every three minutes you do a muscle endurance set on a specific muscle. That's a compound movement that makes you get that anabolic response and you're working a whole lot of muscles at one time. I think that would be a smarter approach to do it. And then it takes away all this idea on like trying to slap, you know, bodybuilding methods or CrossFit intense methods on top of it. What you're really trying to do from the response of the weightlifting session is to truly just get an anabolic response, right? That's, that's really what you want to get out of the weightlifting session. You're not trying to win a weightlifting event. So why, why are you going to try to like increase your PRs every time you do it? You're not going to, you guys are, you guys are working in a dynamic cortisol environment. So every time you go back to that squatting or push pressing, you're not going to be as strong or as weak as you were the week before. So you have to get the right dose response from that session. And that's an anabolic response. And then when you do the aerobic work, put the 30 minute clock on and start right away. If someone's like, well, I got to do my mobility and I got to do my warm up, and then my point is, is that you're doing the wrong exercise design. If you can't walk in and do a 30 minute aerobic session because it takes you 60 minutes to do some foam rolling to warm up, then you're doing the wrong training. Because you know what? You need to be able to be ready for this in a lifestyle endeavor for consistent movement. So, you know, pick up two heavy kettlebells, walk them for 50 meters, put them down, do a bear crawl across the room, take a couple of seconds, do a full, you know, a few strict pull ups. Get on the assault bike, do it for a minute, do some jump rope, go back and do that kettlebell, pick it up, go do some bear crawl, do some strict pull-ups, do that over and over for 30 minutes and maintain you know, aerobic balance the entire time, and you're getting a lot of work done that's sustainable for 30 minutes. Now, that's called aerobic training, but people don't see it as that because they've never been taught how to do it effectively, but that kind of stuff is very important for people to do you know, let's say five times a week, and it's not that hard. I just gave you a really simple prescription for it. But the reason why people get caught up in it is that they don't feel it's like a great sweat or they're not going to be lying on the floor after. And again, it goes back to my original argument on uh, having to do a stress response in order to train for a stress response. Yeah, I, I think our, our tendency is to think that you need to be in oxygen deprivation or having that metallic taste in your mouth to feel like you're getting a, an effective workout in. And, and, and jamming it in, but that's obviously, yeah. uh, yeah, we just been sold that. Yeah. Know? So one last question about the weight training and then we'll move on. But would you recommend, um, very different, uh, muscle groups within those 30 minutes or should you f be focusing on just shoulders for a day then just legs or squats or should you be going to different groups yeah. throughout that 30 minutes? Yeah. Well, the person dictates that as you know, right? Cause the newbie, I'll just put it into big terms. A new person is probably going to be focusing more so on bigger compound multiple joint movements, and they're probably going to be doing, quote unquote, full body training every time they train. You know, a couple of days apart, and let's take those ten minute blocks, and we're going to work on things that are, you know, full body, maybe slower absolute strength movements, right? More more supplementary activities. You get a person who's a little bit more advanced. And they're going to start doing more compound movements with some supplementary movement on the back end. And then people who are more advanced, they're probably going to do some strength speed activities along with some absolute strength, along with some supplementary strength training activities. So in the end, um, the new person is probably going to do a full body approach every day. 
the the person who's a couple of years trained is going to start splitting body parts up during those sessions and then for someone who's more advanced they may do one characteristic on that specific day where they're going to do start off with like hang cleans for the first 10 minutes and then they're going to do some front squat for the next 10 minutes and then they're going to do some walking lunges to core activity for the next 10 minutes it seems like if you use that as a template, even if you don't have a coach nearby or you don't have your own gym and you're working out of your garage, that you're able you can structure you can structure a solid day out of that thirty and thirty like that. Um, oh yeah, well three times a week, and then because you said four hours, so yeah. I just broke into thirty minute blocks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. So, um, you know, re- injury is just part of the game. Uh, we always, of course, want to do things safe, just like we want to do things safe on the range or in our practices at work. We want mm-hmm. to do things safe in the gym, but injuries occur one way or another. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here right now as the result of a, a broken thumb that as at work and gave me the time to <laughs> sit here and be able to talk to you today. Awesome. Because I, so injuries occur. Uh, you know, my biggest challenge right now coming back now that the, the cast got cut off and I'm working on, I have to work back a lot of grip strength and a lot of, uh, a lot of the grip strength and then forearm and mm-hmm. upper body strength. But um, I'm not asking for your prescription for me necessarily on recovering from injury, but how do you approach someone who's either uh, like brand new and, and, and has let, you know, 50, 60 pounds gar- get around their gun belt or someone coming back from injury? How do you approach starting with that? And how, how should people be mindful of that themselves or be having that conversation with a coach? Yeah, um, I think knowing what you can and cannot do is a really great thing and laying that out on the table, that's a really important thing because then we don't attach biases to what you're supposed to do relative to what you can do. I think as a coach's perspective, um, I always like to talk to our coaches about scope of practice. Um, Our job as coaches is to really help people become more vital or to move towards an increase in performance or health and fitness. Um, And when it gets out of our lane as to we don't know what's going on with people, especially when it comes to pain and injury, I think you have to be... Uh, attached to another practitioner that uh, believes in your services, but also that can help those people who have those sort of things and allow them to move, you know, progressively forward. Um, and for it not to be a treadmill approach where they're going to have to like be in the system for like eight weeks in there four times a week just to get it taken care of, you know. Um, on top of that, I want to teach the coaches to also recognize how to work with exercise around the pain. So one thing is that we are good as coaches because we have all these things in our toolkit is to teach the person who does have that injury of what things they can do. Um, And I think that's really important. And we start attaching ourselves then to things that they can do. Um, I guess you could call it modifications so that they can get on the assault bike. You can do some squatting activities. You can get at least some kind of a systemic response to activity, which is going to help in blood flow. It's going to help you feel emotionally better. It's going to create maybe even an increasing growth hormone uh, as a spike post-exercise because you get a little bit of work done it may actually help the recovery in itself. Um, so I generally like to speak in those terms of just working around it, but also balancing the coach's knowledge as well. Into, you can't just do, like for you example, we can't just work on your right arm for a week um, because then it's going to maybe apply some issues to your right arm and cause some tendonitis in your right arm because you're overusing your right arm for the entire week. So we have to have this knowledge of physiology as well as structure Um, but uh, trying to teach coaches that perspective is key. From a client's perspective, they have to recognize that what goes into recovery, um, I would argue, and it sounds crazy coming from a coach, but I would argue it's what you do outside of the gym that makes you increase your recovery faster. 
And so that could mean, you know, staying moving um, to keep uh, blood sugar managed, to sleep well, um, and to keep all inflammation in your system down. That means no stress, you know, increase meditation, increase great practices, stay fulfilled, um, and keep your total overall stress response down. Therefore, your body's going to be able to recover quicker uh, where it comes back to the gut and the health of the gut as to how it's going to do that in an auto- automatic response. You know, you just you just mentioned something interesting. Um, you said increased meditation. Uh, do you meditate? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's uh, yeah. it's something I've 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 start I've tried to start, um, and I mm-hmm. in fits and starts, and I'm getting better about it. But it's something we've we've devoted whole episodes to meditation in different kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what and I, I'm always curious about talking to people who actually have a have a meditation practice going because mm-hmm. they seem to be. They, they seem to have some perspective on it that I'm trying trying to get or that I yeah so what what how has meditation played to your fitness itself yeah I think that um, because I started you know practicing uh, it uh, I started I, st- I started to recognize as a conscious uh, response um, I've been doing it since a really young age I just didn't recognize that it was a meditative practice I think that we've like tried to box meditation. And I think people attach the definition of meditation to this, like, you know, this app or this five minutes per day, you know, 12 times that we yeah. got to do in order to properly do it. And people forget that you're in meditative practice when you're in a complete, fulfilled and alive state. And so, for example, when I bike to work in the morning times, uh, there's parts of my bike ride I don't remember um, because it's automatic, but also I'm in a fulfilled state. I love being active. I love breathing. And uh, I look inside myself. I try to understand my breath. I see where I am. I start planning out my day. I'm just in a very flow state. So I think athletes get into a very meditative state when they're when they're doing intense activity. Uh, I think if you watch Rich Roning's face, for example, you know he does it with thrusters and burpees for 12 minutes, um, and you can watch him. He gets into a very flow state, which I think is still a meditative state. We've we've slapped this idea. Meditation means you know you got to lie down and put your feet up and relax. Um, I just think for folks to start the conversation we just got to lose that idea of what meditation is for me in my practice because i do do intense physical activity um, in the morning times i get up i like to do some stretching when i'm doing that stretching i just think about my breath i think about my day you know do gratitude uh conversation in my head just to start the day off right for me when i do easy aerobic work i'm doing meditative practices um so i just really for me I like to think about my breath, where I am in space, and then consistent ask questions on what my purpose is, you know, what, what I'm doing here, why am I doing what I'm doing, um, and that's a meditative practice for me. So, I mean, I guess you could call it a loose meditative person um, to just allow some openness. No, I, I like that, and, and breath is, is obviously very important. It's in, important in fitness, and it's shown to kick off your parasympathetic nervous system to calm you down and all those things mm-hmm. and lots of people talk about the importance of breath what do you have a method or a practice in in the breath when you say you're focusing on the breath is it just that you're counting breaths uh, one through ten and then starting over or do you do a like a box breathing or how, what is it yeah i think again to make it a really simple prescription that could be slapped across thousands of people um is to just try to slow your breath down and be aware of it um, and I think when people do that really simple idea for biofeedback, um, you know, you can have little practices of, you know, at certain times of the day, put your watch on. And then when it goes off an alarm every 90 minutes, just do 10 really slow breaths of inhalation and exhalation. 
the idea should be more around awareness and not a prescription to it, if that makes sense. No, yeah, sure. Okay. James Fitzgerald, thanks for being with us. You're the founder, creator of OPEX. Uh, where can people find you and find out more about you and learn more about your methods? Yeah. Yeah, uh, opexfit.com is our website. We have a bunch of different uh, portals for information and education for the public as well as coaches as well as uh, clients. Um, and uh, jfitz, at jfitzopex is my uh, um, Instagram uh, handle where I'm consistently posting uh, you know, ideas and pictures and stuff. Same thing. It's the same handle for Twitter and uh, James Fitzgerald on Facebook. Uh, you can also, if people are really interested in just uh, discussing things with me, that we talked about today, James at opexfit.com is my email. I never uh, hesitate to answer any emails from people who are willing to just ask some questions about things that uh, are pertinent to what we discussed today. Oh, that's awesome, and uh, appreciate that. We'll put all those in the show notes, too, so people can go to the squadroom.net and find your episode, and all of those will be right there for them to click through as well. Uh, James, appreciate your time today. Um, really appreciate what we do for first responders and you know, trying to maximize our not only our on the job performance, but trying to, you know, elongate that, that lifestyle and that, that we, and that long life that we're all going for the lot longevity. Um, it's a challenge. So it's, it's nice to have people like you on our side who see the detriments and see the importance of not only the role we play, but what it does to us. And, um, you know, I think we're slowly changing the tide of, uh, of public opinion in terms of what, what we're going through. So we appreciate your help on that. Yeah, no problem. The, to quote one of my mentors to finish, we're all going to only grow on the balance between support and challenge. Absolutely. James, thanks for being with us. All right, James Fitzgerald, founder of OPEX Fitness, O-P-E-X. That's uh, formerly OPT Fitness. Uh, you can check them out on Instagram at OPEX Fitness. OPEX Fitness or uh, their website, opexfit.com. really appreciate James being on the show and, and doing uh, doing this. He's done a lot of interviews. He's a very busy guy. Very cool of him to uh, connect up. If you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, it's at The Squad Room. Uh, go to our website, thesquadroom.net, for all the show notes for this episode. This is episode 39, like I said, so it's thesquadroom.net forward slash episode 39. You can check out other episodes there. You can listen to episodes from there. And you can also get signed up for our mailing list there. Or you can text the squad room, all one word, to 44222 to get signed up from your mobile phone right then and there. Also want to make sure I thank SB Tactical and the iCombat Active Shooter Training System for their support of the show. A veteran-owned, American-made company. They're pretty cool. Check them out at sbtactical.com. Until next time, everybody, take care of each other and stay safe.